Now, isn't his presence good? I said, isn't his presence good? It makes a difference. Man, I'm, I tell you, I, I just sensed his presence mightily during our worship. And uh, sometimes there's a, there's a preacher that I used to watch. He's gone on to be with Jesus, Pastor Dr. Evie Hill. And he would say, sometimes I get the can't help it. You know, it just starts bubbling up and I just can't help myself. And I just felt, man, during worship, when they went into there's power and the break every chain, I, some started welling up. I said, it's time to release the anointing. Amen. Hey, man, listen, we need to pray for some of the men in our church. They were acting like Adam before church. Y'all, y'all wondering, what, 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 what about Adam? You know, the Bible says that when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, Adam blamed his wife. And blame God at the same time. He said, he said, uh, the woman that you gave me. And, uh, there was, there was some people that were already pointing out that, that my wife is a reason why this and that. I'm like, well, Lord Jesus, I'm going to have to bring out the whip and, no, just kidding. I'm not. But I want to encourage you today with this message that I have called finish the race. And as I shared with you last week, when it comes to the Christian life, one of the metaphors that is used is that of running the race. And I shared with you that many start, but few finish. Many start, but few finish in this Christian race. Because you see, the race that we're running, it is not a sprinter's race. It is a marathon. It's a long distance run that we're engaged in. And the Bible reveals that we can finish this race, but there are certain things that we have to apply in order to be able to finish this race. I want you to repeat with me, cross-training and cross-bearing. Would you say that again? Cross-training and cross-bearing. Now, let's look at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, down to verse 2. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially, notice, the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, notice, he endured the cross. Say that. He endured the cross. Disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at or in the place of honor besides God's throne. So the Bible tells us that Jesus, the model for our faith, and really the model marathoner in this race of faith, the Bible reveals to us that there was a way by which he received the ultimate prize. It says that he endured the cross. Now, this same Jesus, before he returned to heaven, he spoke to a crowd and he shared with them, with this crowd, what it would take to experience the fullness of the life that he offers. Look with me at the words that he stated in Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 23 down to verse 24. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way. Take up your cross when? 
Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now, it is important, it is imperative that you and I embrace the fact, the reality of this truth. In order to follow Jesus, you will have to unfollow the world. In order to follow Jesus, you will have to unfollow the world. What do you mean, Pastor? In the Greek language, there is a word used for world. It's the word cosmos. And basically, in its simple meaning, it means a system of values and goals which excludes God. A system of values and goals which excludes God. And the Bible reveals that there is the God of this age or the God of this world or the prince of over the world. His name is Satan. And he has established this system upon principles of arrogance, of lust, of greed, of selfishness. This world system is founded on these principles that the devil uses to influence people. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 18, that the whole world or cosmos lies within the sway or influence of the evil one. And what the Bible is revealing to us, in order to follow Jesus, there has to be a commitment on our part to unfollow the world. The good news is that the moment you and I receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He not only cleanses us, He not only washes us, but by His Spirit, He comes to dwell in us, thereby giving us a power, an ability to break free from the influence of the world. And when you and I begin to do that, we begin to experience the fullness of life that He came to give us. Now, there's a question that is posed. How can salvation be offered to us as a free gift of God, yet discipleship have a great cost? How can salvation be offered to us as a free gift of God and yet discipleship have such a great cost? Consider this analogy. Suppose that I have the desire to climb Mount Everest. Now, let me tell you something. I've read somebody when I spoke a message one time on moving mountains or being mountain movers at a men's retreat. They, they sent me a book by mail. Because they understood that I loved about, I loved reading about mountains and, and it talked about making the climb to Mount Everest. Let me tell you something. When I was reading that book initially, I had a desire to maybe want to climb Mount Everest. But by the time I got to the end of the book, that desire was gone, okay? But let's just show, let's just say though, suppose I have the desire to climb Mount Everest. Suppose a wealthy businessman hears of my desire and he offers to pay for the entire expedition. It costs about $70,000 to do it. And suppose he would tell me, look, I'll buy all the expensive equipment and gear. I'll pay for your transportation. I'll provide for the guides and all and the training. Now, and he'll tell me it's totally free. For you, in terms of financial cost. But, 
Here's the deal. If I accept that businessman's offer, then I have just committed myself to months of difficult training and months of difficult effort. It could even cost me my own life because many good climbers die trying to climb Mount Everest. It is free and yet very costly. And what Jesus was saying is, look, I paid the price for you to experience eternal life. I've made the way possible for you to experience life everlasting. But understand that when you decide to come under my authority and you decide to follow me the way, the truth, and the life, there will be a price to pay. Sometimes that price is having to endure persecution. Sometimes even the possibility of dying for choosing to follow Jesus Christ. Now, this past week, I began and completed a Bible plan that was composed and prepared by one named Professor Boaz. And it is a Bible plan entitled, Running with Jesus. And he writes the following. Very often, the emphasis in Christian preaching is placed on the crown that one will receive at the end of this life's journey. That is true. He goes on to point out that the passage of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 reveals, Jesus, the great lead runner, he is at the place of highest honor, the throne of God. However, he had to go through the cross. He had to die. He had to be buried before he was elevated to the place of glory. He continues in his talks with his disciples. Jesus, the great marathon runner, always emphasized this. In the verse of the day, Jesus says, You want to be a marathon runner? Deny yourself. Take up your cross every day. Lose your life. Then follow me in this marathon run. Now, when I began my journey with Jesus Christ, I was taught a model that really is a truth that is essential to embrace in order for us to finish the race. That model or truth was no cross, no crown. No cross, no crown. In other words, there is no way that you and I can expect to receive from the Lord a crown of life unless we have a resolve that no matter the price for following Jesus, I will remain true. But let me remind you of what Paul revealed, that even if we have to suffer for Jesus, for following Jesus, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, to finish the race will require two commitments. Commitment number one, make following Jesus a daily thing, not just a Sunday thing. If you and I want to finish this race, 
then we've got to make this commitment. Make following Jesus a daily thing, not just a Sunday thing. What do you mean, Pastor? In, in the book of Psalm chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, the psalmist David makes this prayer. He says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will what? I will pray. My voice you shall hear when? In the morning. O Lord, when? In the morning. I will direct it to you. And I will look up. Now watch this. The repetition of the phrase, in the morning, justifies the alternate translation, morning by morning. What was the psalmist saying? God, I will pray to you on the daily. God, I will seek your face every day. You see, if you and I want to be able to experience the fullness of life that Jesus came for us to experience, then we've got to make following Jesus a daily thing, not just a Sunday thing. Because here's what I want you to understand when he says, unto you will I direct my prayer. The Hebrew word direct, a rock, it, it was used in reference to the priest that would daily prepare the, a fresh batch or uh, bring a fresh loaf of bread and put it on the table of showbread that was in the holy place. It was also used a rock to describe when the priest daily would prepare a sacrifice in a certain way on the altar. And listen, when you and I pray on the daily what we are doing, we are, we are exercising a strategy that will help us to outwit the devil every time. This is why Jesus told us to pray. Look when his disciples asked him, Lord teach us to pray. This is what Jesus said in Luke 11 2 and 3. So he said to them, when you pray say our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he said give us when? Thank you. Give us day by day our daily bread. Every day, the priest in the Old Testament, he would prepare a fresh loaf of bread to put on the table of showbread. And you know what, what, the, what the bread was called? The bread of his presence. Ooh. And when you and I pray Every day, just like he did for his people in the wilderness, God will send us manna, fresh manna from heaven for every day. This is why I pray every day. Because when I pray, I know I'm receiving fresh manna, the presence of God anew in my life. And when you feed on the bread of his presence, you receive the strength and sustenance not only to endure, here, but overcome that day, whatever comes your way. But watch this. Mm -hmm. That same Hebrew word, Iraq, to you will I direct my prayer. It was also used in Judges 20 of God's army getting in position for battle. 
It speaks of an arrangement. It speaks of a strategy. What's the implication? When we seek God on the daily through the strategy He's given us to seek Him, what happens is we become equipped and empowered for battle. So when I sing here on Sunday, no weapon formed against me will prosper. You gotta know, I just don't say that because I like the song. I say it because I know I've been in His presence. And in His presence, I've been equipped and empowered. And there's no devil, there's no struggle, there's no fight that I'm not going to be able to win today because I've received from Him what I need. Mm -hmm. So make following Jesus a daily thing, not just a Sunday thing. Commitment number two, if you and I want to finish the race, make up your mind to make no excuses. Just Execute. Now, I know this is not clappy, happy preaching. And I Listen, let me tell you, you don't have to clap for me. I'm going to preach it anyways. There's a fire inside of your pastor that you didn't give it to me, and you can't take it away. And whether you clap or not, this fire is going to, because the word is like fire, Shut up in my bone. you got to understand something. I'm not giving you Reader's Digest today. I'm not giving you Reader's Digest. This is not something I read in a book. This is something that I live every day. There's a fire that the devil, that the world, that the sin cannot put out. Now watch this. Make up your mind to make no excuses. Just execute. Watch this. When it comes to sin... We are not to make peace treaty with sin. We are to make no peace treaty when it comes to sin. We are not to offer it a place to rent or to lease. Rather, we are to serve sin, the eviction notice, and we are to execute it. We need to let sin know, I am no longer for sale. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have no right to my life anymore. I've been freed from your influence, from your power, from your dominion, from your penalty through the blood of Jesus and sin. If you've been lingering in my attic, I'm coming up to get you and let you know there's an eviction notice. You've got to get out. Why, pastor? Didn't you get it? In Hebrews 12, what did he say? That we need to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily trips us up. If we don't get rid of the sin, we're going to keep tripping. We're going to keep tripping. I don't know why I keep falling. (laughs) Maybe there's a sin that you're holding on to, that God is saying, kill it. It's killing you. I've given you authority, power to kill it. Listen to me, church. It's time to execute the death penalty on sin. 
Now, some of you are like, okay, what do you mean? Let me break it down. I'm going to make this simple for you using the most simple version of the Bible, the Message Bible. Look at Colossians 3, 1 through 8. Watch this. No, nobody's going to leave here confused like, what is he referring to, sin? Here it is. Colossians 3, 1 through 8, message. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb what the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. Watch this. Your old life is what? Dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you. The glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. So all that, and what what does he mean by that? He goes on. And that means... Killing off everything connected with that way of death. Like what, Pastor? What sin? Here it is. Sexual promiscuity. Impurity. Lust. Doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it. And grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. You see it there? Do you see it? Now, some of you are like, you hate now, Pastor. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I interrupt my preaching to give you a public service announcement. I did not author the Bible. God did. So if you have a complaint, take it to heaven's complaint counter. Let's go on. Mm. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to what? Explode in anger. People say, God gets angry? How many remember Jesus going to the temple? He got a whip together. It was a long whip. And then he turned the money tables over. Remember that? In John 2, if you haven't read it, it's there. Matthew 21. He, he turned. He was upset. The Bible says he was angry. He was angry. Why? Because of the sin that was going on. He turned. And then he had a whip. Now, it probably whistled too. How many of you know whistling ramas? Whistling branches? I know. My dad would say, son... See the tree in the front? Uh Uh-huh, Dad. Go get me a branch. I knew what that meant. The branch was about to whistle. Branches whistle? Oh, yeah. When there's... I still bear the marks. Now, why would God get angry? Watch this. And rightfully so. Because God bankrupted heaven to free us from sin. It cost His Son His life. 
to free us from sin. And he knows that sin will kill you. So he made the way for you and I not to be under the power, dominion of sin. And that's why as his children, it bothers him. It, it angers him because he's like, you don't have to be a slave to that. I paid the price for you to be free from it. The Bible says, it wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better, but you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. And here's the other part. We like the other stuff. Oh, yeah, sexual promiscuity, pastor. Yeah, lust. Oh, those people. Yeah. But what about this? Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Well, I'm only human. I'm just a man. Let me say, if you're, if you're not a follower of Christ, you're right. But if you're a follower of Christ, you're not just human. When you receive Jesus Christ into your life, not only did He cleanse you of your sin, He came and invaded your soul with His very presence. I am not just a human being. I am a spirit being that has been invaded by supernatural power that is literally out of this world. And this supernatural power knows no limit. That's why when you come to Jesus Christ, you hear people say, you know what? I used used to be an alcoholic, but I don't drink anymore. I used to be in sexual sin, but I'm not engaged in that anymore. I used to have a problem cussing, but I don't do that anymore. It's not because they're holier than thou, but it's because the light turned on. They realized when I received Jesus, he not only cleansed me and forgave me, but he also invaded me by his spirit. And that is greater than any urge, greater than any compulsion, greater than any hurt, greater than any habit, greater than any hanger. I'm talking about a God who gives us power through His Spirit to come inside of us so that there is no temptation that we will not be able to conquer. Not because we are strong, but because He is strong. And we are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Watch this. Here's another reason God gets angry. When we give in to sin and say, well, I don't have to get rid of that. Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. The word place, topos in Greek, it means a foothold or a base of operation. When you and I do not deal with the sin that God calls us to deal with in our lives that is tripping us up, we give the devil a base of operation. We give him a foothold. And listen, if we don't deal with it, the foothold becomes a stronghold. The foothold becomes a stronghold. And it angers God. Why? Because he's like, sin, Satan had you on the auction block. And they had you chained But I showed up through my son Jesus at the auction. 
And I said, I will purchase him. I will purchase her. I will buy them at the highest price. And when he purchased us, we were no longer for sale on the auction block. We were able to step off the auction block. And then he came and he embraced us and said, No longer are you a slave to sin or Satan. Now you are my son. You are my daughter. And you see what I took you from? That has no legal right anymore in your life. And now not only are you my son and daughter, but let me fill you with my presence. So that when that devil that used to be your master and that sin that used to enchain you comes back, you can look it in the eye and say, no, 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 you have no right to me. I don't belong to you anymore. The price was paid for my total freedom and I do not have to cower or bow or give in to your influence anymore. There was a certain man that wanted to sell his house in Haiti For $2,000. Another man wanted to buy it. But because he was poor, he couldn't afford the full asking price. After much bargaining, the owner agreed to sell the house for half the original price with just one stipulation. He would retain ownership of one small nail protruding from just over the door of the house. After several years, the original owner wanted the house back, but the new owner was unwilling to sell. So the first owner went out, found the carcass of a dead dog, and he hung it from the single nail he still owned. Soon the house became unlivable, and the family was forced to sell the house to the owner of the nail. The moral of the story is, if we leave the devil with even one small peg in our life, he will return to hang his garbage on it, making it unfit for Christ's habitation. Dr. Billy Graham made this statement. When Jesus said, If you are going to follow me, you have to take up your cross. It was the same, it was the same as saying, come and bring your electric chair with you. Take up the gas chamber and follow me. He did not have a beautiful gold cross in mind. The cross on a church steeple or on the front of your Bible. Jesus had in mind a place of execution. And I want to say to you today, don't take your cue from those who don't have a clue. Take your cue from the one sent to help you. Who is that pastor? Paul writes about it. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, he writes, For if you live according to the flesh, you will what? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will what? Live. This is the reality. Let's be honest here. Let's be true here. How many of you would say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I've given my life to Jesus. Unashamed. If you, if you're a follower of Jesus, raise your hand right now. Now, how many of you would say, Pastor, I still battle with urges. I still battle with compulsion. I still have to deal with the old self that Jesus delivered me from. The Bible recognizes